James. It's just, you know, snow last week. It's good to be together. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 is where we're going to be today. We are in First John, learning what it means to have assurance in real time. Uh, learning that as we confess Christ, as we confess sin, as we learn to love God and love one another in real ways, and as we learn to trust him to the point that we'll actually start obeying him in the hard ways, as we do that, we grow in intimacy with the Lord, we grow in joy, and as John wants for everyone, we grow in assurance, knowing that we have eternal life, knowing that we have him. So um, I... I'm going to talk to you a little bit about India as I walk through my sermon, the sermons on love. And one of the ways that God has taught me about love is just my relationship with our partner church, Bethel Gospel Church, uh, in Hyderabad, India. And you know that we had spent about 10 days, uh, a team of seven of us over there, uh, executing a Christmas camp, which is like a huge VBS over there. And during New Year's Day, uh, they have a huge uh, service in their main campus in Hyderabad because everybody in India goes to church or to temple on New Year's Day. It's very weird. Uh, but we had a huge service, and of course, Pastor Sudakar pulls a fast one on me and asks me to come up and talk about what my hopes are and Portico Church's hopes are for 2019. Uh, so just to get him back, I said, you know, my final hope is that someday that I can maybe dress as awesome as well as Pastor Sadakar, because he's always super fly. He just looks great. And so they were like, ha, 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 they love that. Well, when I left, they handed me a bag and said, here you go. So I don't know if the joke's on me or if they're like, you don't dress that great. Take a lesson from our pastor. So I'm doing it. I'm doing it. All right? I'm doing it. Uh, yeah, so they send their, their greetings. They miss you. They love you. Um, they so appreciate what you have done um, and, and our team that was over there. Thank you. We raised 15000 bucks, um, and so we well exceeded what was needed to run Christmas camp and to support um, their ministry to their kids, to their orphans. Um, so just thank you so much for that. We're going to talk about love today. Uh, I, I guarantee you that you walked in here with a deep suspicion. You walked in here with a deep suspicion that God is not good. Now, I know that many of you are believers. Some of you are figuring this out and are not. But I don't care who you are. You have a suspicion, and it's, it's somewhere deep, maybe in a dark place, that it's a little too dangerous to trust God for everything. He may not be as good as this scripture says he is, and, and that flows out to how we receive his love and even how we understand what love is. And my fear is, because this is a very plain text that has a lot of imperatives, my fear is that if I just preach this text and say, hey, go out and love your brother, love one another like Christ has loved you. I know this church. You will do it. You will do it sincerity. You will do it with energy. Um, you will be serious about it. And you will just go out there and love one another, but you may not know what it means that you are loved by God right now today. You may have a very weak and poor understanding of what it means that both A, God is love, and that he loves you. Um, one of the pastors over there in India, his name is David Raj. He doesn't speak a lot of English, but we, we talk together, and he's one of the pastors out in, in the villages, out in the city, away from the city, and he, we just have this relationship. We just, he just get along well, but he's one of those people that is so overwhelmed with God's love, it's almost irritating. I had to be honest. It's like that guy who gets a new girlfriend, and it's like he won't stop talking about her. You're like, hey, yeah, yeah, I know you have a girlfriend. Neat. Like, please stop. He is overwhelmed by God's love, and he speaks in broken English to me about it. And it's irritating to me, and this is a sad thing, because I don't always feel that way. I'm honest with you. Sometimes I do. 
But I'm not overwhelmed with the love of God the way that Pastor David Raj is, and it bothers me. So how, how do you define love? Because the text is going to go there. Here's a few ways we as a culture define it. Love doesn't take away another's happiness. That's one way to define it. Love is placing others first. Love is being sacrificial. Love is having the freedom to have sex with whoever you're most attracted to. Love is the feeling of joy. Love is, is kindness. There's a lot of definitions in there. Where do those come from and what are we shooting for? See, today's text is not going to help you very much. It's not going to clarify what it means to love, but it might overturn your life. This, this is how God works. Not because of what God, love requires you to do, but because what God requires you to receive from him in that he loves you like this. So hold on to your hats. First John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to go right into it. We'll have it up on the screen. Follow along. Starting in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you um, as loved people. Love changes people. It changes how we think, how we feel, how we love, how we experience life. It changes how we worship. Lord, our ask this morning is that you would help us to understand these three words, that God is love, before we ever try to love like you. Let us each in, in this church today understand this in a new and a powerful way. Lord, this is your word. It is living. It is active. Would you please open it up that we might behold its treasure? In the name of Jesus, amen. God is love. That's a dangerous statement. God is love. This is my goal today that we would understand what that means and how it affects our life. That's it. God is love. So the way the text is going to do that for us today is it's going to show us what God's love does. So if we're going to understand what it means that God is love, we want to understand what God's love does. So three things that I think are very important for us to understand if we're going to be loved by God, if we're going to be in that position, uh, is this from the text. One is that love frames every action that God does, period. For you. Love frames every action that he does. A. B. Love owns your need. So part of how God loves you is he 100% completely owns your need. And lastly, God's love transforms. And that's where he says love like this. Love one another like this. So let's understand this together. God is love. Uh, it says that. This is a very popular verse. It's almost famous that God is love. But it, it, it doesn't really mean much 
to us. It could mean a call to action, right? Live a life of kindness and love. That's good. Uh, when we hear God is love, maybe it's a theological statement. Uh, learn more about God's character. Okay, that's good. But I would risk that most of us, when we hear this, feel like we have to define it and fill in the blank. And I think for most of us, God is love borders on being a meaningless, maybe overly romantic statement. It sounds right. Who would tell you that it's wrong? Even an atheist would say, well, if God does exist, I would imagine that he's primarily love, whatever that means. But it borders on really just for us being meaningless. And it can't be that. We have to understand because it's a very clear statement. So God is love. It starts with God. Let's go there. Um, Listen to this. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. We're going there next week. But just listen to what it says. And I want you to pick out the main actors in these two verses because it matters on how we understand this idea of God being love. It says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Who's John talking about? Who's the main actor in these verses? Because I saw three. Who is it? Come on, pick them out. God, the who? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So who is it? If we don't understand at the most basic level, what it means that God, just like the song, right? God, the Father, Christ, the Son, uh, Holy Spirit, God in three. If we don't understand this, the statement of God is love is absolutely meaningless because love has an object always. Love is always active. So if we don't understand a little bit of what's going on here, that God the Father sends God the Son and God the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to the church in real time so that we can understand what it means to be loved by God and so we can obey him in freedom and love one another. We must understand this idea of Trinity very quickly. So let's, let's go there. God is three persons. This is going to confuse you because it, it confuses me, but we have to hold the tension. God is three persons of one power, of one substance, of one eternality. Each person of the Trinity is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and there's one God. If that equation doesn't solve for you, then you're understanding it. The formulation of the Trinity historically is not about grasping it in total. It's about protecting the image of God. You've got to hold it in tension. You gotta hold that intention. Why does this matter? Because God in and of himself is a loving community. Period. God cannot be love unless he can exercise love in and of himself. So how do we understand the Trinity then to be exercising love? Well, here's a few ways. God loves completely in and of himself between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He loves completely. He serves He serves himself. He serves God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's there's service going in there. There's a willingness, humility to submit to one another. Well, that's weird. Yeah, it is. He enjoys God the Father, loves God the Son, loves God the Father, loves God the Holy Spirit. There is an act of love ongoing within the Trinity such that God is fully sufficient and fully satisfied in and of himself. You should be saying that's really hard to understand. I'll get to a text that shows us this, but if this is not true, we have a problem because God's love needs something from you. 
If God needs something from creation, if God's love needs something from you, it's not free love, it's not grace, and we're in trouble. It's hard to understand, but it's some of the best news in here. God is a loving community. His love is completely free and not based on need. When you need something, you can't truly love someone the way God loves. So God is love means at minimum, he is continually giving of himself, both intra-trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and to everyone and everything in his creation, always seeking their benefit. How do I know? Let's listen. Did you hear the call to worship? This is high priestly prayer. Jesus is going to the cross. He's hours away. He's going with his best friends. And when you're about to die, you kind, it kind of condenses life down. It distills it down to what really matters. So Jesus is praying audibly for his disciples to hear. Listen to what he says. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because why you loved me before the foundation of the world. God, the son can't get over the fact that God, the father loves him from the foundation of the world. This is everything to him. He's looking forward to going back to his station. And bringing with him all that the Father has given him. That they might be wrapped up into the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This means something to Jesus. This is how the Trinity works. Okay? This is how the Trinity works. Um, We need to understand this. God's love frames every action within himself and in your life as well. Every action. Every single action. Um. One of the things I love to do in India this year, it was so fun. This is the third year I've seen many of the kids. Um, and some of the older ones, the older guys and gals, you know, in their mid-teens or even up in their 20s, I want to ask them, hey, what's God showing you in your life? I just love to do that, right? It's a pastor thing. I've asked you that sometimes. It's kind of a pastor trick. Hey, what's God showed you this year? And boy, was the joke on me. Um, this one gal, uh, she, was, she was explaining a little bit about what was going on in her life, and she was finishing her MBA, and she was a, a leader there in the, in the church and with the orphanage. And then she was like, and here's some really hard things that have happened. And, but, she's, but she says, you know what? She quotes 1 Thessalonians 5.18 to me. Um, I, I am always giving thanks in Christ Jesus. He's always good, isn't he? He's always good, Jason. And she calls me uncle. He's always good. And I knew that she wasn't gaming me. Because we say that, right? We say that in community. How's your life? It's awful. But God is good. And we're just reciting it out of rote memory, which, which is a start. That's good. But she meant it. She meant it. She actually believed that all the hard stuff in her life was somehow weaved in and out of God's specific personal love for her and that everything that was happening in her life had no other chance but to submit to God's plan for her life. She believed that. So when I was trying to encourage her and build her up, I had to repent to the Lord because I don't see his love that way. It's really difficult for me. God is always good to me. She said that. She believes that. God's love frames every action towards you. This believing this, 
believing this, beloved, this may be as hard as understanding to Trinity. Maybe it's just inexplicable to you that God's love could be in your life like that. But it's true, and it's absolutely essential to your relationship with God. If you do not believe this, we're back to your, that lingering doubt. Is God good to me? And the story that he wants to unfold in your life is absolutely dependent that you trust him and that you trust in his love for you. So God is love, yes. God's love means this. Every action is framed by love for you, for you, for you. What else do we see in this text? Um, God's love does this. It owns your need. If you will trust him, if you will let him be your Lord, if you will walk in faith, he is owning your need. John goes on to explain God as love in verse 9. Listen to what he says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Technical word, but it just means... Here's how we see God's love among us in our church. That God sent his only son into the world so that we, that's you and I, might live through him. Again, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. So, at minimum, John is telling his church Love is revealed in action, and very specifically, the action of God towards us. It's more than affection. It's more than admiration. It's more than appreciation, right? You've heard people say, hey, I love to go hiking. But when you call them up on Friday afternoon, they're like, mm, I'm really busy. So they don't love to go hiking. They love the idea of hiking. What you love, you spend resources and time and you put skin in the game for and you will give for it. So God's love is always revealed in very specific actions. It's not just affection. He works towards the object of his love. So let's measure his love. This is what John wants us to do. He wants us to measure the love of God because love is measurable. It's not just an emotion. It should be an emotion, but you can measure love. You can quantify it. Very easy. The measure of love is what you're willing to give, period. That's it. You can know how much you love something by what you're willing to give for it or give up for it. So what is the measure of God's love for you? We're meant to see this. Well, God the Father sent God the Son into the world. I would like to explain that, but I just don't know how to do it any better than Scripture does it. I mean, I don't think we understand the relational trauma that causes between God the Father and God the Son. I don't think we understand the disorientation that causes in God the Son's life as he fully takes on flesh and humiliates himself completely, walking through the stages of growth of a normal kid and teenager and a young adult man and worker and all these things, walking his life out as a single dude, learning to trust God in every way. Do you understand? Wow. But he shared in everything that we did yet without sin. That's what he did not share. In. I mean, I still have jet lag from India. I just, I, I just don't think we understand the, 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 the cost for the Son of God, right? God the Son, to come and write himself into the story of humanity that we might live through him. So the measure of God's love is first, he showed up. Love is always presence. God shows up on earth, king of heaven, feet on the dust in Palestine, right? He's there. 
And this, God's love for you, and this is the key of this text, God's love for you is not dependent or contingent on your love for him. Do you feel that? This is, you like to throw around this word unconditional love. Again, we define it for whatever, usually we define it so it, it removes my need to obey something. But this is actually what conditional love is. God's love for you is not dependent in any way, shape, or form on your demonstrated or actual love for him. He didn't say that Jesus was sent into the world that we might worship him and love him. That's what should have happened. That's what's good and right and just. That's what should have happened. But that's not what happened. He sent him to be a propitiation for our sin. But his love is not dependent on your love for him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And you can't even keep a New Year's resolution, can you? Do you think that you're going to be able to present God a life? Present God a love that will motivate him to give you mercy. It doesn't work that way. You will either receive this or you will not. You cannot achieve it. Period. You must realize that God loves you unconditionally and he owns your need. But also love hates sin. Love can't hate anything. Oh yeah, it does hate. Love hates sin. Sin destroys your relationship with God. It destroys you. Remember this, love is an attribute of God. Well, what kind of an attribute? God is holy. A lot of times we somehow make this love of God ethereal or some sort of essence of God. I guess you could say that it is. But man, it just doesn't show that in the text. Remember, God's love is a part of his holiness, his purity, his light. And he hates sin. We know this because he sent Jesus not to show us the way. He sent Jesus to be the way as a propitiation for our sin. Do you know what that means? We talked about it like maybe six weeks ago. That means that God the Son fully absorbs the real, actual wrath of God, hatred that God has for your sin personally, not, not in general. He's pouring out his wrath on all that hates him, right? All that will not submit. He's hating sin. He's judging it. Like We know this, right? We hate things too. We hate when people are treated unjustly. We hate when people hurt our loved ones. You cannot love something and then not be displeased or angered when somebody kills what you love. So God's wrath is poured out on God the Son, propitiation for our sin. If we don't understand this, we will flip the equation. We'll say because God is love, well, maybe love is God. Right? Two plus one equals one plus two. It doesn't work that way. When we separate God's holiness from his love, we will start defining love any way we want to. First and foremost, God owns this need. You need to have your sin put to death and removed, and the stain of that sin, both your sin and the sin against you, removed from your life. He owns that completely, and he doesn't stop there, but that's where he starts because it's absolutely necessary. Otherwise, we have nothing. God, love, owns your need. And not just that, everything. Um, what does that look like in real time? Well, there is um, one, of the, one of the gals I talked to 
I've seen her for three different years. I think, I think she's about 16 now. So I, and she's very like, very spry. But man, I can tell after I've come back every year, there's an edge to her. There's a hardness to her. She's very loving, but there's just, there's a, there's a sharpness to her. And, um, there's an edge of anger that, that is under the surface. And I just asked her, I said, Hey, how's, what's God showing you? Right? Again, bad decision. I'm never going to ask that question again to anybody. Um, She's like, well, she's like, ah, oh, yeah, 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 okay, uncle. Um, so my mom, kerosene. Do you know what she means? My mom died from kerosene. She was burned, right? My mom, kerosene, and my dad. Um, and so she was trying to explain to me what it was like to live with that. And, and, then, and then she said, but my, my dad is baptized now. He became a believer. And so I'm trying to like, grasp, making sure I'm hearing her English right and I'm hearing it right. I'm like, oh, I'm like very sorry to hear that, but also very thankful. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I said, so what have you learned? She's like, God takes care of me. Wow. She pleads it too. God takes care of me. I'm like, I don't know how you connect the dots there. I don't know how you personally are doing that. Because from where I'm sitting, that looks like a rough way to go. So she teaches me that she has learned that for her, God's love owns all of her need. And he's taking care of her, even in the midst of disaster. She believes it. She believes that God has taken care of her. And what I learned is like, yes, she's got some anger. She's got some fear. Who wouldn't? But God is walking her through that minefield in his church, and he's not letting go of her, and it's going to be a mess. And maybe we had a very small part to play in it, but who has a huge part to play in it are her brothers and her sisters in that church, her pastors, her leaders, her friends, those that she leads as younger kids. God has put them together that they might understand what it means to be loved by God and to love one another, and only God can save her. Only God can fix that, and she knows it. And, she's, and they're all very thankful for God's salvation. And lastly, um, God's love transforms. If it's not enough that he entirely embraces you, all of you, when you will submit to him, when you will trust him, he's going to change you. And it's probably one of the most painful things you're ever going to do is to learn to be loved by God. Um, one of the things that we always notice, the team always notices over there. You know, they've got kids from like 20s down to toddlers. They just take care of one another. And it's not because nobody else will. Like when we're listening or like they're listening to a teaching or they're hanging out, like they discipline one another. Like I've watched some of the older boys, like, I mean, first of all, a five-year-old boy in any culture is impossible to control. Right? Can I just tell you that? It's no different in India. It's no different anywhere. But these older boys know how to handle them. Like these 17-year-old boys, like they know how to like grab them, settle them down, stop a fight. They'll just throw them on your lap, right? And you sit down with them. Older girls taking care of the younger girls, discipling them, loving them. And we're just like, wow, I don't, how does it, listen, they've witnessed it. They've seen the pastors and the people um, and the leaders and the men and women of Bethel Gospel Church 
overwhelmed by the love of God. They've witnessed it. They've been loved by these people. They're and they understand they're experiencing the love of God. And it teaches them to actively trust God. And so what do they do? This, this is why First John can say, Beloved, let us love one another like God has loved us. That's real, right? It teaches them how to love one another. So we see that. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God. The only way for you to experience this, to experience God's personal life, love for you, is you absolutely have to give him your trust. There's no other way. You can look at it, you can hear about it, you can evaluate it, and that's fine. But at some point, you must give him your trust. You must choose to respond to God's love and grace for you with trust. Um, And as you do that, you will experience the work of Jesus saving you. And as you do that, especially among his people, it's impossible to remain the same. Can't do it. I dare you. God's love, as you trust him, will change you and transform you. You will never be the same. How? Well, you're a new creation. You have new desires. You have new loves. You have a new Lord. You seek holiness instead of run from it. Um, and you've learned to love like God does. And this takes practice. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about practicing love together as a group. But we're not going to do that today. Because you need to practice what it means to be loved by God. You need to know that, friend. Um, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Yes, but do you know what it means that God so loves you? Can I just say where this comes out? Um, When you don't believe in God's real love for you, it changes how you pray. I heard somebody give an illustration of this, and I think it was brilliant. You've seen the shark tank, right? You've seen the Shark Tank on TV? Am I the only one who watches it? Okay. Um, so basically the big idea is you have a business idea. You go before these, these major entrepreneurs and you try to convince them that you matter. You try to convince them that what you have matters. When you don't believe that God loves you, you will spend your prayer life convincing God to be concerned with you. That's what your prayer is all about. It's like the Shark Tank. You're trying to get God's eye. You're trying to present a case why this prayer needs to be answered. You're trying to get God to fully invest in you. That is a deep, deep misunderstanding of God's love for you. Yeah, man, but stuff goes down in my life. I know. You have to trust him for it. You're going to have to trust him for it. So God is love, not a meaningless statement. This is how God loves you. It frames every action he takes in your life. He owns your every need. When you believe that, you'll start praying like the Psalms. You'll feel comfortable saying, How much longer, Lord, will you forsake me? You start believing his promises. And changes how you pray. You'll be free to lament that the promises of God seem stretched out and long and too far away. And it feels like you're not here. And are you my refuge and shield? Because this just happened. 
but you will engage him in real conversation and you will engage him like the king and the Lord he is, but you will engage him as a kid, right? He owns your need and he transforms you. That's not going to happen if you don't trust him. Listen to the words of Jesus again. Call to worship. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Right hand of the Father. See my glory that you have given me. Why, Jesus? Because you love me. Don't believe me. Believe your Lord. He lives for the love of God, even though he is God the Son. And he had it before the foundation of the world. And he was sent here that you might understand it, that you might receive it, and that you might know that you know God. Or as John says, that you might know that you have eternal life. How are you responding to God's love and grace today? How much distance have you put between you and God? Don't even try to love out of your own resources. You have got to love out of what God has given you or you will burn out. You will crash and you will try to live to get God attention and to convince him that you matter. How are you responding to God's love? Would you let him have your sin? Would you let him have your fear? Would you let him have your disaster? Would you let him have your relationships? Would you let him have everything that you have and believe that his love is big enough and powerful enough and stable enough to walk you anywhere he wants you to go? Trust him. Give your life to him. This is his call for us. This is his call for you today. And as we do that, as a family, as a church, we are making God visible to the world at large. You and me. As we learn to live in God's love, as we learn to walk in it together, as we learn to love one another as brothers and sisters, we're the only place people are going to see the love of God. We manifest the love of God. What would that look like? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness. I just confess and repent. I nuance your goodness, Lord, um, so that you're not really good. I trust you, but I've got to have something that I control. And that's not how it works, Lord Jesus. I pray that our understanding of your love for us will be completely rooted in this, that you have sent God the Son to be a complete substitution and propitiation of reconciling us to you completely, not neutrally, that you have made us sons and daughters of the living God. That has happened, Lord. Let us embrace it and receive it, because this is your will for us. In the name of Jesus, amen.